You spoke the words, go to dark Gethsemane and go to the, the foot of the cross and the tomb, that you were actually kind of imagining the reality of there were real people who saw Jesus risen. And, and they, were cry, they, they were cried out in song and said, Lord, teach us to, to rise. You know, as, as you've come, real people saw Jesus praying and sweating blood, suffering on the cross and being risen. And you, maybe you have seen that in your reality, and that has brought joy to you in singing and wondering, Lord, teach me how to rise. Teach me how to grow. Uh, teach me how to pray. And, and, and so as you come to uh, kind of a, a Bible study like this, uh, I think our, our heart's desire, if we're in Christ, is to, is to rise above what we know. Uh, rise above how we uh, live day to day and the sin that so often entangles us. So if you're a Christian and you're singing those words, imagine the joy that these people experience as they encountered Jesus and then what you in your, in your life have encountered through knowing Him and Him setting you free from the power and the penalty of your own sin and how He's redeemed you from that. That's glorious. And so then our best days, we remember that, but we have to sing those truths to ourselves that our minds might imagine them and our hearts might feel them anew every day. And so we sing them together. Now, if you're not here, if you're here today and you're not convinced of that, we're glad you're here. We, we hope that you'll you know, make this a regular thing, you know, a Wednesday thing where you can come here and you can feel like you can bring a friend who maybe isn't convinced uh, also along with you and you can hear these words and hear these things and then test them out for yourself and see if they fit, if they're true, and if they're, if they're wonderful, if they're beautiful to you. And so we're looking tonight at uh, the Ten Commandments, number seven, and I'm going to read off of your handout, which is right here. If you don't have one of these, this is the O-U-R-U-F handout. It's in the back, and it, is, uh, it says, Welcome. In the middle, second page, you have the text we'll be reading from. We do this every week, and we have a little outline. You can take notes. And if you'd like to, you can text one of our interns. Their number is on the back. It says Sam and Catherine. They're right under my name, Justin. And you can text them an anonymous question. They will forward those questions on to me, and I can answer anonymous questions. Or if you have like a, a question you just want to ask after this is over, you can raise up your hand and ask it. Uh, and I'll be around afterwards to answer questions too. And we go to Waffle House every week afterwards, so I go to that too. I'd love to hear you dialogue more about these issues. So, um, if you want to ask questions, feel free to do so. We love questions here, RUF. So, let's get started. And then uh, feel free, just slam, slam the text while you're, while you're hearing it to Sam or Catherine. They'll forward them on. We can talk more afterwards about things that might uh, arise, thoughts you have while you're hearing this. So be thinking. Okay, all right, let's read the Word of God. Exodus 20, verse 1, and then we're going to skip down to the seventh commandment. We've already done one through six. We're going seventh tonight. All right, number one. It's the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then moving down to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it tonight. Amen. So let's, uh, let's just review for a minute. Uh, we've talked about how the Word of God uh, gives us a Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are, uh, can, are, are, can be looked at four different ways. They are a picture, uh, a photograph, or a painting of, of God. 
They show us what God's like, his values. They also can be thought of as a mirror. Uh, they, they show us who we are and who we are to be. Uh, and, and then further along, you can think of the Ten Commandments as a map, kind of the road map of what it would look like to live a free life, a life that's blessed, a life that's happy, a life that's wonderful. And then finally, uh, the Ten Commandments can be thought of in a fourth way of they're an MRI, they're an X-ray. They may show us deep-rooted problems within our own hearts that need to be dealt with. So you can think about that this commandment, some of you might be thinking about, you know, immediately, here's the way I ought to go. Or here's, here's the way, here's something that's wrong in me that I don't get. But I want to I focus also tonight, which you might not, it might be less obvious about, this is a picture of who God is, okay? That, I believe, is the key to really doing something about the problems within us and seeing who we are and dealing with them, is to realize who God is. So, there's good news. First, first point. There's good news that God sets sexual slaves free from guilt and power of that sin which enslaves them. That's the first thing. Now, when I say this is a picture, whenever all the commandments are a picture of God, look, the first one, the first, or the, the, this one right here, is that you shall not commit adultery. Okay, or you shall not be faithless or unfaithful against someone you are in communion with, in covenant with, that you abide with that husband or wife that God gives you for all of your days. You nurture that person, you protect them, you lead them, you make them better and more glorious than when you found them. And you never leave them, you never forsake them. You abide with that person. And that's what we're designed to be. We're designed to be those who are faithful. Why? Because we are in the image of God. God made us, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in the image of God. And so we reflect who God is. If, if, if we are called to be this, then that means that there's something inherently in God that is faithful. Uh, God can be described as faithful, never forsaking us, never leaving us. He's good. And so we're to be good in that way. We're to stay faithful to our promises and, and, and committed to those we're in relationship with, and we abide with them. We don't leave them and, and cast them aside and, and, and chase after others. And so that's true of God. He's faithful. And also, when you think about adultery, when you think about uh, someone cheating on you, and many of you have been in maybe relationships, maybe, some of you aren't married, some of you are, a few of you are, but some of you are, ma- are not married, but you've been in relationships in which someone has cheated on you, or someone has talked to other people, uh, and, and, or, or made out with other people when they are in relationship with you, and that does not feel good. That feels like betrayal, that feels like jealousy, and hatred. And so that's a little insight into who God is too. Uh, God is, is described as being jealous for his people, as a husband would be for his bride. There's a window into seeing that God is radically faithful and committed and jealous for his people, which we sang about. He's jealous for you. Uh, and that's, that's good news about who God is. So let's start out with that, with that in mind. It's a picture of him. But what is it about this God that is wonderfully faithful and jealous for you. Well, look at the first verse there, number two. It's on your, on your sheet. It says, 
I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Um, and so, look, these people, God chose them. He picked them. And he brings them out of slavery, out of lives which were not about holiness or, you know, being the, the stars of the youth group or Bible study leaders. They weren't, they weren't the pure and holy people. They were simply slaves. Uh, no more, you know, wholesome or chaste, pure uh, than any other nation. They were no more, as Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, no more great than any other nation. God says, look, this is who I'm going to love, and I'm going to set them free. He chose them. Just like someone would take someone at a slave auction and buy them out of slavery, or one of those funny little auctions that fraternities and sororities or organizations do, like an auction to raise money. God chooses you. Uh, he, he bought you. He chooses you. He wants to take you home with him. And the key thing to remember here is it's not because they're so good at being faithful to one another. They're so good at being sexually pure. He doesn't buy them because of their virtue. He buys them in order to make them virtuous and make them wonderful and make them pure. And that's something we all need to hear. We all need to hear that tonight, that God doesn't love us based upon our obedience he loves us in order to create in us a new and wonderful obedience to him that is great. Not because he just wants to say, no fun, no fun for you. No, sexual, no sexuality outside of marriage because I want to limit your fun. No, he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to give you the map to success, the road to, to thriving and flourishing. I've talked to so many college students in my eight or ten years of college ministry, however long it is now, uh, who have gone through the ringer of, oh man, I'm so glad I don't have those authorities over me anymore. Those parents who are always trying to get in my business. Uh, and I, or maybe I'm free from, from you know, my church or my friends. I can kind of come here and go wild. And then two years later, three years later, they have been absolutely devastated by, by their actions, uh, maybe caused a lot of problems for, their, for themselves, and said, look, there was no joy in that. But the thing is, is that they, uh, many of us go to, or kind of fall off the wagon in church because, look, we don't find any joy in it. We don't find any joy in obedience because obedience is not fun. <laughs> and if we think that obedience is what is necessary in order to show ourselves right to God, then that's never going to, we're, ne we're ultimately going to, you know, lose the joy of jumping through those hoops to, to show God that we're worthy. Because that's always going to bring us ultimately less and less satisfaction and joy. We're going to grow tired of it. It doesn't bring us anything because that's not what the way we relate to God. That's every other system of relating to people is I do good so you'll accept me and I do bad and you don't accept me, but that's not the way it relates to God. God chooses you out of what you were in, a slave to all kinds of things, and he brings you into freedom, not because of your freeness. He saves you in order to set you free. Free in a different way than what you think. Uh, not free to do whatever you want to do, but free to overcome those 
things that enslave you, to be free from the guilt of those things, which destroys you, which you can never get out of your mind. There's actually hope to be free from all the crud that we've been through and what we've done to others and what people have done to us. There's freedom and there's power to stop doing what we do. Um, let me just uh, tell you a few stories about uh, people in the Bible. One, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, a woman named Rahab. Uh, and so after Moses and the Ten Commandments are written, 40 years later, the people of Israel go to the promised land, this free land that they were promised to go to. And, and when, they, uh, when they cross over into this land, they send a few spies, and these, these, these men encounter a professional prostitute named Rahab. Rahab, uh, who has you know, spent her life uh, giving people orgasms for money, okay, that's what she does. Uh, let's just be, I mean, that's a prostitute. No telling how many sexual partners she has had in her life. This woman says, when y'all come through here and your God gives you victory, in this land, because I know that's going to happen. I believe it. I've, I've heard who your God is. When he comes to this land, will you save me? Will you remember me? Will you spare me? Will you promise to do that? And they do. They say, yeah, we'll save you. And then she saves them. Actually, it's really interesting. She lies to, to the authorities to get them out of trouble and get them back to their land. And so when they do enter into the land, they do remember her. They do save her. And then Rahab, the professional prostitute who spent her life in illicit sexual behavior, has her whole family brought into this people of God because God remembered her and set her free. She changes her life. And, and that's, just, that, that's just a picture of how like, God doesn't choose the clean, the, the, the faithful or the sexually pure, he remembers and sets free those people, and those people are radically transformed by knowing that, look, God remembered me. I mean, look, God is the Lord of our memories, is he not? Like, I forget things all the time. I remember some things, but the people that came into that town, they found Rahab and they, and they protected her, and she glorified God because, look, they remembered me, and ultimately God remembered me. God was faithful to me to set me free from certain destruction when this army came through, set her free. Another story of a, of a, of a when you want to move to the New Testament, is look, look, there's a woman, a Samaritan woman, who goes to a well in the middle of the day because she is absolutely an outcast. Uh, she's an she's a adulterous woman. Uh, and, and Jesus knows who she is. He knows what she's done. And he tells her what she's done. But he says, look, I, want to get, I know you've been going after all these guys all your days, trying to get them to promise to love you and never leave you and never forsake you, but I want you to, to come to me. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. Here, I want to give you water. You've been drinking from this well that will never satisfy you. I want to give you living water. And she was so astonished that this man, Jesus, knew who she was, knew what she'd done, and was willing to, to just to seek her out and talk to her and offer her this, that she went and told all of her village about him and brought, him, brought them to see Jesus. God sets sexual slaves free 
from the guilt of their sins and the power of their sins. Many of you believe the gospel, but you believe you're too bad for the gospel, that is. But this, the, the paradigm of the Bible, the, 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 what's going on here is that no one is too guilty for this forgiveness that Jesus offered. He goes and he, he sets free people who are worse than you, who are as bad as you, who are not as bad as you. The point is, you're not too guilty for this. And that he would reach out to you is proof that your guilt can be gone. That God wants you. He chooses you. He speaks to you. And then with that comes power. The power to be free from this sin. You don't have to live in these patterns you've established throughout your life. That There can be real real and and good um, progress. And so... That's the first point. Uh, two, there's, there's options that you have. There. There's options uh, for you. You can either go in this free way or you can turn back and say, I think I want to go back to Egypt. I think I want to go back to slavery. And we're faced kind of with this, with this decision we make every day, which is, man, you know, I know Jesus is good, but golly, I mean, it'd be really nice to have somebody to hug me and to... <laughs> To, to, to uh, have some, you know, heavy petting. <laughs> Not that you'd ever say that. <laughs> but you want to be touched. You want to be loved. You want to be accepted. You want somebody to make a promise to you to take your clothes off and say, look, here I am, accept me. You want that. That's what sexuality is. And, and in a lot of ways, like the church has kind of said over time, that that's not okay to feel that way that your desires are not okay, it just suppresses desires, you know, drive those deep down within you. What the Bible actually says is, no, those desires are good. Uh, Proverbs 5 would be a place to look. Uh, it, sa- it says you know, something to the effect of, may, it, may the wife satisfy her husband, may the wife's breast satisfy her husband all of his days. And how, 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 there's a whole book in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, about a wife and her husband, husband and wife, and their sexual life and the joy of it and the desire for that. It's good in context. Powerful, powerful to speak to us and tell us uh, about this union. Uh, it's the sacrament of marriage. It's, it's where a husband and wife uh, re-sort of understand their vows of, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I'm with you, you're with me, we're one. And so to relate in that sort of physical way tells you uh, what those promises you've made to one another. Of, I'm not going anywhere, you're mine, you're, I'm yours. You're never, we're never leaving one another ever. It says that. It makes a promise. Uh, there's an old uh, movie, Vanilla Sky, uh, with Tom Cruise. Some of you have seen this. It's very strange. Uh, I bring it up because there's a great line in there. There's a psycho woman who's after Tom Cruise. He has sex with her, and she kind of ruins his life because it was kind of like he was using her, right? He has sex with her, uses her, and doesn't want anything to do with her. And, like, she drives him off a cliff because she says, look, when you you have sex with somebody, your body makes a promise whether or not you do or not. It says something. It says words you can't communicate. It speaks. 
and it tells you something. So, the, so, so there's an option of, of relating sex in a way that lies and says things that aren't true. Um, the only way you can say that is to do so in a way in which somebody's made a promise to you to never leave you, to never <clears throat> forsake you, to love you in sickness and health for all of your days until, you, until you've been willing to say that publicly, declare that in front of everyone. And God, um, you're not ready to make that promise with your body. That's, that's, the, that's the only way God says it's, it's intended to be done in a, in a husband-wife relationship, man and woman. Uh, that's how we're to express ourselves. So we've got several options we could, we could talk about in ways that aren't that way. Um, so uh, in, uh, uh, we talked about how you don't need to be embarrassed about sexual desire, but, but what about, okay, man, you're not married. What do you do? What do you do with that sexual desire? It's all that desire just in you. you know, it's, it's just oozing from you. Okay, like, what do you do with that? How do you express that? Yeah, right. <laughs> how do you express that? appropriately, right? As, we, as I'm being inappropriate. Um, how do you express that appropriately? Um, well, um, you know, uh, a lot of ways of, of thinking about that. Um, one way, I mean, the obvious question is, what, what about masturbation? Can you masturbate or not? Okay, nothing in the Bible necessarily that speaks to that clearly. Uh, there's no like, thou shalt not masturbate. You know, it's not in there. Uh, it's like... A, it's, this is as much as we have in the Old Testament about, okay, so faithfulness, husband and wife, no verses about masturbation. There's one example of where someone uh, avoids impregnating someone they were supposed to, and you could, you could that's, that doesn't apply. Okay, it's in Genesis 39, does not apply. There's no explicit mention of that act. Okay, um, and so there's an old quote that says, except for holy man, heroes and hypocrites, everyone has masturbated. Um, most struggle with that and feel guilty about it. Some don't feel guilty about it. Uh, our, our culture at large says, you know, it's a great way to kind of explore who you are and know your sexual um, sexuality, and so go for it, you know. Uh, and so, uh, and you can think, well, you know, yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll, you know, sign me up for that view because I'm, I'm doing it, I'm struggling with it, and like, help me, okay, here. So, um, so, well, should we really embrace that view, though, is the question. Can you, uh, can you do that? And so, uh, I mean, I think it's with everything. It's like, uh, whatever you, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do so for the glory of God. So you can ask, well, am I, if I'm a Christian, am I doing this for the glory of God? Um, so, so, I don't know, I guess, what, follow that logic, am I, am I doing it well? Or um, I don't know. That, <laughs> ask that question, are you, are you doing it for the glory of God? Um, yeah, okay, well, seriously, though, can you do that? Now, I just want to say, I mean, like, if you would go to Ephesians 5 in your Bible, I don't have it printed out on the sheet or it's not on the, on the handout, but look, marital sex in Ephesians 5 is intended to be a picture of Christ and the church. Christ and the church are one. Two parties becoming one. And that this husband, Christ, loves his church He's caring for her, protecting her, nurturing her, and loving her so well. And she is responding in kind and loving him. And so the question is, if you masturbate, can you reflect the oneness of two parties alone? Can you? I mean, can you do that? I don't think so. 
Um, okay, so that's one. Secondly, um, you know, uh, Jesus says it, uh, that it's much more, uh, keeping this commandment in the New Testament, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, much more involved than the physical act of adultery. Uh, it's, it's also lusting after a person, wanting to desire to have that person. And so the joke here is like, you know, it, it'd be fine to masturbate if you can, you know, think about tractors while you're doing it. Okay? But, but if, if, what, if what you must think about to masturbate is, man, that Channing Tatum or that Katy Perry <laughs> or somebody in your class, like, that's a sin. Okay? Run from that. Flee from that. Um, you know, like, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6, 14 you know, it says, okay, this is not just for husbands and wives as far as uh, purity here, but it's like flee all sexual morality. Uh, flee all sexual morality. And so if, if masturbation for you is a struggle in which it's leading you to be immoral in your thoughts, run from that. Run from that because that's a, that's a good thing to do and run to Jesus in that. And look, and realize, like, if you are in the acts of dialing up your, uh, not dialing up, but but logging on and, and in the midst of your pornography struggle for the umpteenth time, and you said, look, I'm not doing it again, then here you are, find yourself back there again. Like, just pause for a minute. Look at what you're doing. Look at that person who you are thinking about and objectifying his body parts and pray for that person. If you're a Christian, think about that person, what has led them to a life of pornography. Pray for them. Because that is no, that, that, like, to support that every, you know, you know it, you know, okay, okay, maybe you're getting it for free, okay, like, you're not paying for it. You're on the internet, you're getting it for free, but look, they're selling advertising uh, based on your views, okay, you're still supporting it, you're giving money to the exploitation and enslavement of, of people. These are people, uh, okay, so I'm just saying, okay, don't masturbate to pornography ever, okay, it is not a good idea, um, run from it, stay away. And we know that, uh, we know that, but I'm saying, look, it is not a good thing, it's not a victimless crime, um, it is, it's awful. Um, but, God loves awful people, doesn't he? Samson, regularly visited prostitutes, thought it was fine, uh, a lot of Israelites did. Rahab, professional prostitute like we've already talked about, Jesus goes to the adulterous woman uh, in Samaria and, and says, I want to give you living water. I want to set you free. And so we can go on and on and on about this. Uh, but this, this, this commandment involves your heart. It involves your eyes. It involves what you, what you do with other people. It's more than just keep it in your pants. It's more than just hands off of who doesn't belong to you. It is a full life of trying to, to seek to be faithful to God and faithful in your word to Him. And living a way that, that's chaste. So the options of going back into slavery. These, 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 and so what, question is, why would we want to go to these sexual ways that are outside of God's design? Well, they feel good. They feel like there's, a, there's an easy pleasure about them. Where we don't feel pleasure. That we'd, want, we'd see, oh man, this life is hard. Okay, my, 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 you know, my, my life is not easy. I've got a lot of exams to keep up with. I've got a lot of... You know, uh, struggles, my, fam my family's a wreck, uh, I don't have any friends. Uh, it's easy to go out and find joy in, uh, in, in sexual um, pleasure. Going back to the old ways, going back to Egyptian 
slavery. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm saying I'm, when I'm saying Egyptian, I'm saying these people were physically brought out of Egypt into a promised land, and, and by God, God miraculously saved them, and they want to go back to the place of slavery. They, they do that. And so let's not be like that, going back into obvious slavery. Okay, so uh, third, uh, tools to stand and fight in order to live a free life. We're going to come to Jesus. And so there, there's tools here. Now, rather than just giving you a bunch of practical stuff, um, like, okay, you know, if you find yourself sinning sexually um, late at night, uh, don't tank up on Red Bull every night. Like, go to bed. Okay, that'd be a good, you know, a good uh, thing. You're not going to make any booty calls if you're asleep, okay, um, basically. Um, you know, if you find yourself making your booty call at 1 o'clock, don't tank up on Red Bull at 1130. Okay, like, go to bed at 1130. <coughs> Um, you know, but that's just a practical thing, you know, like, okay, like, practicality doesn't save you, practicality doesn't make you well, um, rules don't save you, um, you know, following rules comes out of desire to change yourself, and, and so I just want to tell you, um, um, friends, <laughs> the gospel is for you, the God who made all things, who is over all things, who because of his power needs nothing wants you. The God of all things wants you. And, and, he does, and He tells you that because He sent His Son to die for you. To live for you, to die for you. He loves you. He tells you that. And so if you call on Him in your day of trouble, when you're feeling lonely, which is a terrible feeling, when you would call upon Him, confess your need of Him and Him alone, He will set you free. When you feel lonely, you go to him. He has spoken these words in the loudest fashion at the resurrection of Jesus, that he would die for you, be risen for you. He needs nothing, yet he gives you everything. He gives you everything. He needs nothing, he gives you everything. If you've come and confessed your sin to him, if you've done that and your need of him, he delivers you. Not because of your zeal, because of your cleanliness, your purity, but because of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's what saves you. His love for you and his actions for you. And so if that's true of you, think about how good that ought to feel. That you're chosen by the one who needs nothing. Okay? Some of us are just beautiful. Okay? Some of us in this room can have anybody. Right? Most of us aren't that way. Okay? Um, we have to work, we have to prove ourselves. Um, you know, we all are not that. And so, look, some of you, um, you know, like some guys can have any girl, okay? The Channing Tatums of the world, okay? But some of you can have those guys. You know, Sam, okay, could have anybody. He chose Brittany, okay? He did. Um, and that's special. Brittany can say for the rest of her life, Sam chose me. Of all the women in the world, Sam chose me. Catherine, Matt chose you. Okay, that's awesome. They're getting married June 14th. That's wonderful. That's great. Chose you. More than any other date, more than any other relationship, the stunning thing is that the God of the universe chose sinners, uh, people like us. And so, look, I've got to be motivated, but I've got to be motivated by that. He chose me and wants to make me wonderful and beautiful. He wants to make me his bride. There's a great picture. The Bible ends in a wedding. 
It ends in a wedding with a, with a great picture of a bride come down from heaven. This bride who was just uh, who was a mess when Jesus found her. But at the end of the days, she is more gloriously described than anything. She is pure, holy, and wonderful. And that's all of us in the church, brought together into this majestic bride, clean and set right. And all of things are going to be made right in that day when Jesus returns to heal and to save his bride. The Bible is a great big love story, and it ends in a wedding and life eternal with God forever. So let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll ask some questions or hear some questions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good, and your son is good. Help us to believe it. Help us to relish in it and love. 